0: What, so. was the, uh, what was the average starting position following the punts?
1: I don't actually know.
0: <laughs> Jesus, the most important part of punt stats. <laughs> you could have just made something up, Ronan, and we'd have been none the wiser. Uh, north by but... Northwest, West, two knots. <laughs> 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 so hello, welcome to Four It's The one-stop shop for news and overreactions to all things NFL. We'll be taking a look at some news from around the league, reviewing some of the games from last week, taking questions from you, the listener, and then looking forward to next week's games. So, hey, we got Connor here, we got Harry. How are you? And we got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Any quick? Ah, grand.
2: Not too much. Uh, getting a bit more sedate now uh, with the, on the work front. So, I might be have a social life soon. Oh, exciting. It'll be very fun. Uh, although, <laughs> I don't know what. Like I feel like I didn't drink that much on Sunday, but I was stinking coming into work oh, the yeah. next day what oh, Guinness likes.
0: It's, it's that plus I think like the lack of sleep and the tiredness yeah. like I just think it adds up um, we're not as young as we once were absolutely uh, what about yourself It's how all up in Cork or sorry you were in Cavan for most of the since we were chatting to you last weren't you
1: yeah just up in Cavan funnily my, my dad picked up some job at City Post which apparently is part of the gig economy now but his latest job in Apparently requires GPS, and he has no idea how to use GPS. So <laughs> I basically had to go over that with him. And because it was all based on air codes, I basically ended up having to use Google Maps for
0: him. So yeah, to find all the air Google codes. Are so, <laughs> yeah. so Jesus. stupid. Yeah, I'm fairly uh, chilled myself as well in work, trying to get some study done. I was down in Kerry on the weekend, and then off to all this weekend. So lots of traveling around Ireland before Christmas. And then the week after is when I've got uh, my diehard party. So I'm they're doing good. a... They're showing Die Hard in the Lighthouse Cinema and they're doing a 1980s uh, office Christmas party themed party beforehand which I think will be awesome.
2: It's actually on the Lighthouse Cinema they, they'll be having the Disaster Artist. Oh yeah. That's, that's really good fun. Good one, that's yeah. really good fun, yeah. you have still got the picture of the spoon inside the inside the one, kitchen. One of the spoons, yeah. I, I did.
0: Well, so we'll fly on into the news, lads. i have got a big main story this week. Uh, Denver fired their offensive coordinator, Mike McCoy. This comes after chats of the team being soft by uh, John LA old horseface McGee. Uh, he's been replaced with Bill Musgrave. Um, this is very much a team is not doing well. We're going to have to make some kind of change. Is this potent Like I don't know if I can put entirely put the blame on McCoy, given what they've got at quarterback, what they've got on that offensive line. Is this? something that he's actually to blame for? Or is this just being thrown under the bus because Elway can't actually draft a team and the only positive thing he did was attract Peyton Manning who did all the rest of the job for him because he's actually a horse-faced like, charlatan. That's
1: not a only question, Connor. Definitely not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, leading question.
2: No, Um, I think there's two sides to this and I think you've you've hit on both of them because I think there is certainly an element of Elway has not been able to build a team they went on that one team where they built like essentially a one year juggernaut and just about dragged the corpse of Peyton Manning to a Super Bowl yeah. and since then they've really really struggled to um, to refresh Denver's offense though has struggled and like when you have a good enough defense when you have a defense that's at the caliber of Denver's at a certain point you're like that should be good enough to win you a certain amount of games and it should be good enough to keep you contending like when you look at, say, Baltimore, whose offense has been absolutely shambolic, they've pitched three shutouts this year. Yep. That's the kind of thing that Denver aren't doing. Like they're functional enough to keep the ball rolling, they're functional enough to keep them in games. Whereas Denver, for example, this week against a bad Cincinnati team, weren't able to move the ball enough to, to go anywhere. Like when you look at the raw numbers, their offensive yardage isn't like the worst. It's actually about on a par with the Raiders, for example, mm-hmm. um, in the division. But When you have what should be a championship-caliber defense, and the offense is what's holding the team back, the more spotlight gets cast on them. If it was just the case that this team was just pants, they'd probably be okay. You'd probably be like, okay, we're going to rebuild. We've got a young coaching staff. We know there's elements of the team that were going to be rebuilt, and we knew that coming into the season. Mm -hmm. But when you have the failure to develop any of the three quarterbacks they have, when you have the um, failure to give the defense a chance to keep you in games because you can't keep moving the ball and when you have high expectations like Elway has like Denver has as a whole there's only so much rope you can have and eventually it is going to come back and they're going to have to say right somebody needs to fall on their sword as you said Elway isn't going to take the blame for me oh I failed to draft a quarterback ever it's going to come down to somebody in this case the head coach is too recent of an appointment to be the one who sacrificed so you turn to a the the veteran offensive coordinator Mm -hmm. and let him go
0: and like do we think Bill Musgrave is actually going to do anything here? Or is this just a placeholder so they can show that they're doing an action rather than this action actually resulting in anything?
1: I think it's it's a situation where it could make a difference, but like, we never know. Like I don't think anyone expected Bill Lazor to make a difference in Cincinnati. but That had a short-term effect. I think that's all they're looking for. With that defense, it's still pretty good. Like Cincinnati won through luck, as Harry said. So it's more a case that you need that jolt into the arm and... That will probably involve Paxton Lynch probably next game. Latest will be a game after that because Brock Osweiler is obviously not the answer in that team. I think with McCoy, he was brought in as kind of a veteran OC from outside the organization. He wasn't really part of the kind of Vance Joseph vanguard as it were. And I think he was an easy sacrifice to make in this case. And I think, you know, ultimately all this is going through Elway. It's very obvious that Elway is probably the most powerful Uh, GM in terms of his tendrils throughout the entire organization and in this case he's taken someone out who he thinks you probably just disagrees with or didn't see as being very valuable
0: so we'll see how that goes over the next couple of weeks uh, flying through some of the injuries we've had we'll pick up on one or two of these uh, we have uh, Cam Chancellor from Seattle as uh, injured his neck rumours might be gone for the season this is piling on to the fact that we already heard that their starting quarterback one Richard Sherman is gone for the season uh, following an injury uh, on Thursday Night Football last week uh, one or two other notable ones will be uh, Chris Thompson running back for Washington is gone for the season with a fractured fibula uh, Donta Ford Man, the running back for Houston, the rookie's ruptured his Achilles, so he's gone for the season. There's a few smaller demons. Jay Cutler got a concussion, but he was playing like he had one anyway. <laughs> uh, Robert Woods is potentially a big issue. Uh, he might be gone for a few weeks with a shoulder injury. He's had a couple of good weeks for that team. Kelvin Benjamin's injured his knee, might be gone for a few weeks. Uh, Green Bay lost some more linemen. Again, doesn't look like it really matters. Brian Beluga's there. I don't think they're going to be able to do much with that uh, quarterback anyway. And uh, Cleveland lost Emmanuel Ogba to a broken foot. So, obviously, I I can imagine there's one that you're going to want to talk about here, Fitz.
1: Yeah, like Cam Chancellor, he missed uh, Monday Night Football. And, you know, it's similar to the Cliff Averill injury. It kind of sounds like what was initially assigned as a stinger may actually be a much more significant injury. Now, Pete Carroll... That's come out subsequently and said, "I just know where these rumors are coming from." But that's the rumors that were out there among NFL insiders. If Cam Chancellor is gone for the season, it's another massive piece missing. Obviously, in terms of the run game, he makes a huge difference. But even in terms of his leadership, he's like one of those leaders in the locker room. And of course, with him gone, it's basically just down to Earl Thomas from that kind of Legion of Boom. Even if they like they brought back, uh, even if they brought back a piece last week in Byron Maxwell. So for me, I think Cam Chancellor definitely affects the run game has an effect in the secondary but I think most of all it's just another kind of setback for a defence which is kind of reeling right now with all the pieces having to
0: be put back together again Outside of maybe Chris Thompson dropping down to so a lot of requirement now on the, on the rookie uh, Sanjay Perrine Sammy P. Rine. Sammy P. Wait, see, this is the thing. You've it shouldn't t- be pronounced that way, you've it is. You've told me that, and I've heard it pronounced four or five different ways as well. I I'm just, just copying the commentary, so to be fair, if <laughs> NBC are wrong, I'm wrong. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, so there's a bit more leaning on him, but we will probably be discussing that uh, in a bit. Are there any of these that stand out to you massively? I think the interesting one, I
2: don't think interesting any significant sense, but interesting in, this, in that footballing perspective from the little... Petty dramas that play out. The Jay Cutler thing is really interesting, because Matt Moore, as we know, came in when Jay Cutler was hurt before. Sucked. Like, just got annihilated, but it was against Baltimore, then they brought Cutler back. He was playing well, then Cutler sucked so hard Mm. this week, and threw three picks, I think, in 12 attempts. Got benched. Then Matt Moore came on and actually had a really decent game. So what's interesting here is if Cutler can't get out of protocol, if Matt Moore starts the next game and plays well then I think we'll have reignited the quarterback controversy in Miami that seemed to have died down after the Ravens game. Yeah, It's an interesting one to follow, particularly particularly because Miami's next game is against New England, which, as we see now, is now not an easy defensive matchup. So it'll be very interesting to see how Moore plays and whether or not uh, Cutler manages to dodge another bullet by going up avoiding a defense that might have made him look really bad
0: yeah well will see like, the th- thing is it's, it's going to be that kind of uh, QB controversy but it's a QB controversy where I think they're all pretty much agreeing that neither of these guys is their thing like potentially we're talking about more as staying on as a backup but there's nothing else like Cutler's gone after this season oh yeah
1: yeah but like, Miami are still are still playoff relevant just because they ASU sucks so much
0: so it is noteworthy from that perspective
2: Uh... I just enjoy the uh, 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 ensuing Jay Cutler drama like it makes me happy Mm,
0: it's always always fun and we move on to our favourite bit of this in every week Uh, Crime and Punishment what are they up to it's probably felonies Ezekiel Elliott and the NFL Players Association have both decided to drop the appeals it's finally done people it's finally done he's going to see out the uh, six game suspension I think there's four games left now so yeah we don't have to talk about it anymore excellent our Green Bay running back Aaron Jones has been brought up on marijuana possession charges after he was stopped in a traffic stop earlier in this year I think it was early in November uh, we'd heard a little bit of mention about this but nothing serious had come out but now he's being charged with this uh, this doesn't really have a massive impact on Green Bay because it's not like their running game has been a juggernaut
2: no it doesn't well Jones is injured anyway so he was going to miss the mm. next three weeks at least so it's um, pain management. Yeah, I, presumably. Uh, or because, you know, he's a, a young man and that's what uh, all of the NFL players do. Um, like, I don't think it's going to be significant. As far as I'm aware, this is a first offense, first so he won't actually get suspended. Mm. So it's more whether or not there are any actual legal ramifications rather than yeah. um, ones from the NFL. I don't know what the rule is in the jurisdiction where he was arrested. But uh, like I said, he was he was sus- he was in, out injured anyway. So and the team was going nowhere. So yeah, I do not is particularly significant. But one to watch if it ever raises its head again, because the next one I think will be a suspension.
0: Yeah, and Pittsburgh's offensive tackle Mark Gilbert was suspended for four games for a PD violation. Uh, yeah, that's. Kind of expected this will happen from time to time with a couple of players every year. Yeah, I think that's about it for that. On to Controversy Corner. We had some uh, some interesting bits happen this week. So, James Winston. Remember how it was really funny and the only thing he did was crab legs? But actually, there was a whole lot of other stuff going on that everyone kind of forgot about because it wasn't as and headlines on ESPN. So, James Winston has uh, been involved in another incident involving uh, sexual assault, sexual uh, harassment, where uh, he was riding in an Uber and apparently sexually harassed the Uber driver while yelling, I believe, t- yelling homophobic slurs at the door yeah. or something along these lines. Um, he has denied these allegations, and Ronald Darby has hopped in and said he was in that car with him and he definitely didn't do that. Interesting to note, as Harry informed me early on, Ronald Darby is also the man who provided an alibi for James Winston for his previous sexual assaults commission. There is apparently a third man in the car, which neither of them can quite remember the name of, but his name might be Mr. Le Fall Taker. <laughs> uh, Harry, what do you think of this?
2: That's, like Chris, that's what Chris Carter said the the imposing a few years ago, right? Always get yourself a fall guy. <coughs> but, I mean, this is one of those things, right, where if nothing had happened before... You could understand why people, you know, would 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 defend Jameis, you know. Mm-hmm. But this is a guy who uh, avoided a rape charge after a very badly botched police investigation. Who, while under investigation for rape, thought it would be hilarious to get up on a cafeteria table and yell "fucker" right in the pussy. Mm-hmm. Uh, who stole crab legs? We don't really care about that. That's just, that is hilarious. Yeah. Um, went to a uh, gave a speech to a bunch of fifth graders where he told the boys to stand up and be strong and the girls to sit down and be quiet mm-hmm. and then uh, of his own hand trying to give a
0: motivational speech last week before a game I was very confused by that. Eat the W. But he's already eaten it and he's taking it out of his mouth and then they're eating it like they're baby birds and he's regurgitating it for them. Yeah, see
2: the (laughs) problem was he didn't really establish the conceit first. Like he's been like, you know, who wants to eat a W? Instead he just started eating his hand and then was like, oh shit, I've got to explain what I'm doing. (laughs) It was really weird. So the point is, right, James Winston is not only probably an awful human being on the balance of evidence but also really fucking stupid. Yep. And this seems exactly in keeping with the kind of careless, loutish, like harassy behavior that we've seen from James winston out of his career and again like i say it's significant that the one guy he's sticking up from is the guy who stuck up from and all the previous things and tried to put like gave the excuse the story initially from winston was you know like oh i, I didn't i didn't do it and now it's like more and more details are coming out but not from him the instant we do know was actually reported to uber at the time uh the woman only went went public uh obviously it was a female driver that he grabbed her by the crotch Uh, in the wake of all this Me Too stuff that's going on all Mm -hmm. the other uh, horrific things that have have come to light over the last little while uh, in the US and also in Ireland, actually, following the Al Porter story. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is just, like, I fully believe that he did this because this is in keeping with every single thing Jameis Winston has ever done in his life. Uh, This is going to lead to a suspension at some point, presumably, like, uh, uh, we see now the NFL is very, very, very unwilling to tolerate this kind of behaviour, and that's probably good. But I think it, it it just casts into, like, just how little effort... I think this is the thing, how little effort Tampa Bay have made when they knew they were getting a guy who had a bunch of red flags, yeah. and you can't stop this kind of thing from happening. It's like, you need to be putting in way more effort. If you've got Ronald Darby and another guy following around, you can fucking send a chaper, you can send a car to pick him up, like, get him... Like, keep this guy out of trouble, you know, have some concern, make sure he's not a danger to the people around him, and... Yeah, he's just gone off and done James Winston things
0: like It's remarkable. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's, it's bizarre. And I'm sure we'll be hearing loads and loads about this in the coming weeks as the story kind of breaks into lot further. We had a couple of trades and stuff. i uh, not sorry, trades, but more kind of signings and so on. Uh, Arizona wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald has agreed to come back on a one-year extension. Uh, it's a one-year, $11 million deal with a no-trade clause in it, uh, which will bring him back for another year, uh, It says that, maybe they're not just going to blow everything up next year. We'll see. Um he negotiated this contract himself, which is quite cool. Uh and that uh, his lifelong agent passed away last year, so he didn't want to have another agent come in. The Chicago Bears trying kicker Tyro Santos, uh Santos. He he'll do well for them. And San Francisco uh Sheldon Day, defensive tackle and they cut Dayton Jones, defensive end. So uh, any of these we want to jump in on or they're all I think they're all pretty solid moves.
1: Yeah, I think the Larry Fitz signing is more uh, like I don't think there's too much guaranteed money, so it's it's like he'll retire if he wants to. But hey, yeah, you got the option to keep me around if you're if you're actually doing something next season, eh? Yeah, uh, and it makes sense for Arizona because obviously he's a legend in that town, and like keeping him towards the end of his career makes sense. Mm.
0: What I, what I find interesting is that obviously there's a strong relationship there, but the fact that he felt he had to put a no trade clause into the contract says that he knows that. There is probably a good chance of a shift happening, and if that was to happen, he would be more valuable to them as a trade commodity rather than as a hometown hero. So uh, that that, that's a bit odd and slightly ominous for the off season, but uh, we'll see other little bits of news uh, former wide receiver Terry Glenn died in a car crash Terry Glenn was a uh, wide receiver for the Patriots Remember the Patriots all 90s team he won rookie of the year in his first year uh, up about eight and a half, nine thousand 9,000 receiving yards uh, do you want to tell us a bit about him Harry?
2: Yeah so he was uh, he was drafted by the Patriots played there I think he finished his career in Dallas uh, like I say he uh, it was, it was a very good player a very promising start I think he held the record for the number of uh, most receptions by a rookie until Anquan Bolden had obviously a 100 plus catch mm-hmm. rookie season and obviously uh won, a, won the super bowl with us uh, as well of course yeah. um and this is just it's just it's sad uh, it's just a car crash i haven't really heard too much about it. it sounds like it's just you know one of those things that happens unfortunately sometimes people's cars crash and we've mm-hmm. i guess it's always sad um but sometimes we've heard of them and it seems to have a bit more impact so um i gather his, his fiance was also in the car and it survived mm-hmm. so i think you know just the best wishes go out to Uh, quite to herself and the the family because it's just it's just awful he was not an old man Um, yeah he had a lot of life ahead of him Uh, and yeah it's it's just a shame that you see somebody who you saw uh, play uh, die it's always weird isn't it it's just like yeah
0: no, of course. Uh, so yeah, best wishes going to, to his family and his fiance. Uh, we have, uh, well, we we're also going to have a quick discussion, but I think this is coming in a question. So uh, we were just going to discuss uh, Peterman's interesting debut in the league, uh, the, the, the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. We will be taking a question or two on him, so we will save that for a bit later on. And the only other bit of news is, uh, quite interestingly, we have a possibly the most middle-of-the-road-to-poor team in the Ravens, who are currently... In a race, they have three shutouts so far this year. If they get one more, they tie their franchise record, which would tie them with as good a defense as the 2001 Ravens. Uh, there's one defense who has a fifth shutout. Do you know what team it is?
2: I'm. Oh, God, it's not an insufferable Bears team, is it?
0: No, oh, it's not. It was quite surprising. It is uh, it's the Steelers. Oh, okay. Uh, one of the, I think it was the 60, 57 Steelers. I think possibly. Um, they have five shutout games. Uh, which is just bizarro land when you think about that because I think that was a ten-game season back then. So that was half their games. So they just shut the other team out. Uh, but yeah. So uh, the Ravens, they might not be a very good team, but they're a pretty good fucking defense. They've got a, they've got a shot of it. I'm looking yeah. at
2: their. I'm looking at the rest of their schedule here, and um, they've got a shot of that record. Yeah, because they've got really to play good. Houston, right? Yep. Detroit and Pittsburgh okay fair enough but then Cleveland Indianapolis and Cincinnati in the final three yeah
0: there is a good chance if they were to put up a good performance in those that they could get it uh, it would be very impressive and I think it will be more more entertaining if they get the fourth one and then it's just a, like looking at that last three games yeah. and being like come on one of you and then that'll be the, that'll be the game that it'll be won by Cleveland three to nothing <laughs>
1: Or it zero zero tie. Oh uh, no, okay.
0: still kind of is a shot out. Throwback, yeah that's a shot. <laughs> yeah, that's a work Imagine, imagine if Cleveland finished Cleveland finished zero fifteen and one with the tie being at 0 nil. Oh that'll be phenomenal. I suppose on that lovely note we're gonna to move to look at the games from last week. Okay, so first up in the Ring of Honor, we have Washington at New Orleans, uh, 31-34 in overtime. New Orleans are now on an eight-game winning streak, coming back from a 15-point hole with six minutes left in the game and kicking an overtime field goal to lock it up. Uh, Kirk Cousins looked pretty good in this game, took a number of shots but held strong. Uh, He had eight separate targets for 322 yards, three touchdowns and no interceptions. I think for the first time, I think this year, from what I've seen of him, this is the first time that I've seen him in the kind of light that would suggest the market they would have once he hits the free market. Um, Breeze was good at the end, but it took all the way to the fourth quarter to really get going. Mark Ingram was what carried them. He had 134 yards and a touchdown. So, Ronan, I'll chat to you first about Washington. This was a better performance than we expected, but they fell apart in the fourth quarter. Was this a factor of them being worn down by the running game the relentlessness of this New Orleans offence? Like, they were getting seven yards a carry or was it just a lack of concentration and discipline from Washington at the tail end or was it maybe some kind of scheme breakdown?
1: Well, I, I think, like, firstly, it's hard to discount the injury that happened in the third quarter to Chris Thompson. Yeah. Chris Thompson has been that run game, he's been the kind of sidecar to Kirk Cousin, his release valve, his, like, basically, with him and Vernon Davis have been basically the only consistent targets that Kirk Cousins has really had to throw through. But, like, you know, the main thing to talk about this, this, this uh, Mizuku's team is that they're playing, like, they've played really hard despite the fact that they have suffered all these injuries. Chris Thompson only being the latest. Like, both of their defensive tackles are gone. Uh, their offensive line has been banged up all season. And they've been dealing with issues uh, in the wide receiver core as well. And obviously, like the, with Jordan Reed, uh, etc., and Terrell Pryor both suffering for injuries. Like Terrell Pryor went for surgery this week. So you know, despite all of the issues that have gone and all the free agency losses that they have, Kirk Cousins has been efficient, and in this game was probably actually. Like Really, really good. Like, there were several times that Kirk Cousins stood tall in the pocket and got the ball out. In particular, I think back to that long touchdown to Ryan Grant, where he basically got killed. Like, four New Orleans Saints simultaneously crashed into him, but he got the ball up to Grant. He diagnosed the play, and they scored a touchdown, which put them further ahead, which at the time looked like it was a game ceiling touchdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other side we know the New Orleans Saints are very good and i think that that made the difference in the end like the defense as i said is missing its two starting defensive tackles and i think once that run game New Orleans got going it was hard for them to get back and then when you're in that situation when you're in the fourth quarter and you actually want to close out the game suddenly you're missing uh, suddenly you're kind of missing another person that you want to you want to have there Vernon Davis actually had a decent game here, but he also had another drop pass that was was badly timed as well. So I think for, for the for the for the Mzungus, it was a good game. They did everything that they can, but I think it's just one of those cases that the, the the disparity in talent kind of showed true in the end, and the disparity kind of in luck right now. So I think for for them, I, it's very hard to see them getting back into the NFC playoff race. Uh, considering how competitive it is yeah. but I think they'll be proud of how hard they've fought over the last month or so despite all of the adversity they have I think it stands well to Kirk Cousins it stands well to that coaching staff and you know hopefully if they can re-sign Kirk Cousins this is a team that can build off this season and become competitive in the NFC East uh, yeah. next season but unfortunately I think the the injury like the injury toll has basically killed him this game and has killed him this season, has been a legitimate force in that NFC.
0: Yeah, no, of course. Harry, like, this tight, kind of squeaky, bum time of a game. <laughs> but they got the win, uh, like, two passing touchdowns coming with three minutes left in the game, which is a bit rough. Like, is that kind of late start and that needs to come back? Is that a function of the scheme? Because they're using their running back by committee quite a lot. Is it them holding Breeze back to kind of keep him? For the playoffs, or is it them covering up an aging quarterback who maybe doesn't have the ability to do it for sixty minutes like he used to? Yeah, uh,
2: well, this whole season, Breeze's numbers have been down on on what we usually see. And to be honest, with you, I, I don't think anything. I think it's the latter, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know? It's like if you, you the, the, the the Saints for the last few seasons have been like, we're gonna get Drew Brees to throw five thousand yards if his fucking arm falls off. Yeah, and that's just not sustainable. Like he's, he's well into his, he's in his late thirties. Like this isn't a, a young man anymore, and you have to be smart about how you use your resources, particularly when they have uh, this, this these running backs who've just been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, as to what happened during the game, like I think part of it was the Saints, you know, started cold. They Brees ended up having a fantastic uh, game passing for think, close to 400 yards, but he he struggled early on, so it wasn't like they were just protecting him. Like it, they took a little while to get into this. They were never really out of it, like I think they you know, they, they they dropped off and had to come back in the in the fourth quarter, but it never felt like they were getting dominated. It just felt like they were getting outplayed and then mm-hmm. they were able to flip the switch. They did also it's worth knowing they did benefit from some like some, some you know, you make your own luck, but like that, that Alvin Kamara touchdown, for example, like nine times out of ten a player drops that ball. Like yeah. that was just an incredible play from Kamara, but one he had no business making. So there, there was an element of that, and I suppose there always is an element of it when you're sort of digging back in from deep. I think they were also, to be honest with you, even once Chris Thompson went out of the game, it seems like the Saints were taken a bit by surprise by just how willing Washington were to give the ball to Sammy P. Ryan and let him rip. Uh, he ended up having, I think, like 23 carries for 117 yards and a touchdown, which is a very, very good return for a running back who hasn't shown a huge amount. And this is what we said on the podcast, they listened to us, they need to establish a solid running game to try and control it. And that's what they tried to do, and unfortunately it's just the Saints, when they get into that groove... Are just so hard to stop, and um, there's so many ways like that that they can kill you. Like they have, obviously Ingram and Kamara, uh, Ingram, both who were both of whom, by the way, are threats in the passing game. Like they had a fantastic day on the ground, but they also combined for nine catches and close to 100 yards as well between the pair of them. Kobe Fleener had a, his best game of the season. Like there were just a lot of things clicking for the Saints, where they were, I think, able to exploit space against what, as Ronan said, is a, is a very banged up Washington team mm-hmm. that. I feel faded down the stretch defensively because they're they're missing experience. They're missing guys who could clog up the middle, who could stop Ingram from pounding it. They, They don't necessarily have that full strength that they wanted to. And the Saints' defense as well kicked into gear. It was two big sacks, one to stop Washington driving down to what would have potentially a field goal to win the game, and then one in overtime to force Washington to punt the ball back to them. So... It's a weird one, like like you said. I think, like I said, I think the talent showed at the end of the day, mm-hmm. but it was Washington made hard work it for New Orleans, and had that team had a full starting complement, if it had had those offensive tackles, if it had had those defensive tackles, yeah, this they could have won this game. So the Saints, it's a huge win. It's a great feel good comeback win, but there's questions there about how much this team can consistently beat guys who play them close. And I'd be interested to see if that's the case against teams with much better defenses. Yeah. Of course. See Rams Minnesota and so on when we get into mm-hmm. the playoff and the business end of the season.
0: Oh yeah, that's it. Uh, into the neutral zone now. We've got uh, LA Rams at Minnesota, seven to twenty-four. Latavius Murray had ninety-five yards and two touchdowns, and Adam Thielen one hundred and twenty-three yards and a touchdown as the Vikings' offense overpowered this Rams defense, uh, and the Vikings' defense held this kind of high-flying Rams offense to seven points. Uh, also, uh, on a side note, keeping the seven and nine Rams dream alive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> As we would say, this was a game for the purists until the fourth quarter, uh, where there was only 14 points scored up until then. In the second half, the Rams allowed 288 yards of offense, but they kept shooting themselves in the foot as well. Cooper Cup dropped a touchdown. Gurley was held to less than 2.5 yards a carry. This was their offense getting shut down. This was three highly functioning groups of the Minnesota offense and defense and the Rams defense, all working well, but that LA offense just not looking up to scratch. So, Harry, when we look at Minnesota in this game, they were comprehensive in pretty much all facets of the game, but took until the fourth quarter, maybe a tiredness or whatever, to pull away. Is this Case Keenum team, and I never thought I'd be saying this, is this Case Keenum-led team currently the scariest potential matchup for the, someone to land up against in the in the playoffs? Well, no, I think, I think the Philadelphia Eagles are, are that, but
2: this is certainly a team that you wouldn't write off against anyone even mm. against the Eagles mm. uh, even if this team was an underdog this is a team that always has a chance of just shutting a game down and that's what they did like while the game was close yeah um, 7-7 up until the fourth quarter when you look at the time of possession stats right? I'm going to give you the time of possession stats the Vikings had the ball for 37 and a half minutes mm. that's crazy and that's why the Rams got worn out that's why they did they were consistently able to get their defence off the field they were able to string together offensive drives they they eventually just, just ground down that Rams team. And when you have guys like Adam Thielen, like Stephon Diggs, you can stretch the field, and now Latavius Murray seemingly fully recovered from his, his uh, ankle surgery can be that banger up the middle that they want him to be. That made the difference, is that this this team, for all the Case Keenum's limitations, he's actually been surrounded by weapons. He's got those guys. He's got Jared McKinnon, who's an electric pass catching back. What makes it scary is that this team has the capacity on offense to move the ball in an awful lot of ways and couples that with what we saw is a fantastic defense that made Jared Goff, who's been very good this year, look extremely ineffective. Uh, made Todd Gurley look extremely ineffective. There were mistakes. There were, th- there were moments where the Rams could have scored where Goff missed open receivers and didn't see guys getting mm-hmm. open. But that's going to happen every game. Those are, the, those are the chances you have to take. Right now, I don't want to say that Minnesota are one of the most complete teams in the NFL. But they really are because their weakness in inverted commas isn't the quarterback position, and what they have there is a guy who's doing what he can do, mm-hmm. isn't trying to put the team on his back, isn't. They're not trying to make Case Keenum be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers well, or you whatever. See, you see, you see yeah. that
0: when you have like Adam Thielen catching a little kind of hitch right and then just going All right, I'm going to turn around and run seventy yards. Like they have, they have the ability to make the most of what would be small intermediate pass range, and then just. Just playmakers like Adam Thielen looks like he should be Pro Bowler, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. Adam Thielen is is the new Jordy Nelson, like it's, mm. what he like. He's oh, you said that the other night. Said uh, they they've drafted Jordy Nelson and, uh, and Randall Cobb. Yeah. No, sorry, I know I
2: didn't want to say Randall Cobb. Sorry, the Jordan Nelson, Donald Driver. Yeah, that was a um, just to piss off all the Packers fans. <laughs> but
0: like, this is it. This is what they
2: seem team do, and it wasn't an explosive defense offensive display because it's against that good Rams defense. But they. Wore them, they grind on them, they tried, right, we're going to give you runs, we're going to give you short passes, we're going to give you deep passes, we are going to give you everything until we find your breaking point, and that's what makes this team a challenge for anyone.
0: Yeah, of course. Ronan, this is a tough loss, uh, but as I said, some of it was self-inflicted. Like, the coaching staff of Minnesota said that they liked what they were going to be able to get here, with that defensive line facing their offensive line, that they'd be able to wear them down, because they felt that the LA Rams had a kind of a light... Uh, defensive line that they'd be able to rotate their way around and suddenly manhandle them at the end does this performance make you worry about like the credentials and the 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 distance that this LA Rams team can do or do you think this is a just a factor of a tough road game that they had to go into and they maybe had not their optimum game there or is this something that other teams will be able to exploit
1: Uh, I think the defense held up its end of the bargain like it it led up like 24 points but generally towards the end when it's late like if 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 you're in close games that might turn into an issue but there's no denying that the majority of the players on that defence are still highly talented Aaron Donald alone makes that defence legit no matter what situation it's in Uh, there's a few questions in that safety position where they're dealing with a few injuries and like uh, Hatfield came in as their backup safety and was pretty damn terrible but if they don't suffer too many more injuries in that safety position I think they'll be fine I think that's the only real defensive issue. I think on the offense is where the real questions are asked, and in particular, relating relating to Jared Goff. Like Jared Goff had a pretty bad game. He didn't throw any interceptions. He didn't give the ball away. But I think you know the three games that the LA Rams have lost this season, the consistent like the consistent factor has been that. He's been under pressure, that the other team has put him under pressure and forced him to turn inwards. Because, like, Jared Goff right now, when you give him time, is really good. And the way that Sean McVay has worked that offense, he is scheming so well that in most games, Jared Goff is getting wide open windows, in which to throw into, and it basically makes it easy for the quarterback. But when you go up against an elite defense like the Minnesota Vikings, you don't get those opportunities. Suddenly the windows tighten. Suddenly the, the pass rush is more in your face. And in that sense, I think Jared Goff still lacks the play recognition, the kind of mental like ability to play the quarterback position to be an elite performer and to carry his team when it needs them. When Todd Gurley can't get going, when they zoom in and make sure that Todd Gurley doesn't get yards. And I think Jared Goff right now looks kind of like more like an early say Matthew Stafford in the sense that he has all the physical traits. And when he throws the ball, it's beautiful, uh, and he's got really good like and his arm strength is, is very very good as well. But I just feel that Jared Goff, there's something a little bit missing between the ears that means that he just isn't the kind of performer that can carry the team past a good defense if the run gate isn't there to assist him. So yeah. I think personally for me, as long as Jared, like like I think Jared Goff's a second-year player, uh, obviously he's a number, number one quick, but I think for a second-year player, that's where he is. Like, you could like, see a lot of these second-year players, like Jack Prescott, when they're under pressure, they don't look like the same player anymore. I think the same thing's happened to Jared Goff. And that's unfortunate. And just before I finish up, uh, this game does give me one opportunity to dust off an old favourite, the punt report. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very good game for Johnny Hecker, who's kind of been in, in stasis uh, for a while at this point, uh, but six points for a 40-yard net average. So Johnny Hacker still got it uh, if they need him in future games. Like, uh, I think i just like to finally say the LA Rams have a really tough end of year schedule yeah. so we're going to see a lot more chances to see if Jared Goff can make that next step up and be that kind of quarterback that he needs to be if this Rams team is going to be a legitimate contender in a stacked
0: NFC. yeah Coral well this was this was the question it is, it is the business end of the season they're facing their most difficult section of the schedule now that's what I was kind of wondering about is this something that some of these because these are good defences they're going to be playing that these defences are going to be able to hone in on and use it as a bit of a blueprint Uh, We'll move on to the Dumpster Fire. Yay. Uh, Kansas City and New York Giants 9-12 in overtime. This was a horrendous game. I'm very happy I did not go over to the States for this game. Uh, Kansas City were woefully inept uh, with the exception of one drive that looked quite nice uh, as they dropped to the New York Giants who gained their second win this year and their second win over an AFC West team as well. The only standout performance I could see was Kelsey, 109 yards. Smith threw two picks and no touchdowns. Only positive I could really see for the Chiefs coming out is the defense at its job. Like, if you allow nine points to be scored, you got to fucking expect you're going to win that game. Uh, if your offense can't beat nine points, then it doesn't matter how good your defense is going to be. Eli looked pedestrian outside of overtime. Uh, he was 205 yards, 19-35, to 35, 3.5 yards. Like, they had 3.5 yards average on the ground running, no touchdowns, no receptions. Like, it was... No one in this game looked good. No single unit looked good. There was... Like I said, with the exception of Travis Kelsey, there wasn't even much of an outstanding performance from anyone, and that's, like... That was 100 yards and no touchdowns. Like, And he also threw a pick so I don't know if it really counts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ronan, like a you on the Giants in this one I suppose, Orleans Darkwa was okay for, uh, 74 yards. Nearly four yards carry got a touchdown. Eli, like I said, outside of overtime looked very poor. 200 yards on 35 attempts. Right? The defense looked tired. Eli Apple was out. But, this is a team who came to play, executed what they wanted to do Obviously, still want to try and play some football. Is this the poten- Is is there the potential in this team to get enough of their shit together that McAdoo will survive, or is it too late into the season? And if you think there's a chance, how many games or what would they need to do to make sure he doesn't get fired?
1: I think like if they if they somehow managed to fluke their way to eight and eight, he would probably survive. But like, it's not really going to happen. Like the Chiefs in this game. Look terrible, I'm sure as Harry will go over, and as you've already gone over yourself. So I think this was more a testament to the defence kind of living up to like last year's level. Like it, it seemed like the defence like seemed to turn a corner and actually showed up. Uh, and players who had kind of taken the day off for several weeks at this point, like Janoris Jenkins, suddenly came back to life. And I think mm. maybe that's a situation where they're like they're all aware that next year there's likely to be a new regime, and they're like, okay, time to step up and make sure that. You know, we keep our jobs and aren't going to be shipped off by the energy. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think also there's there's a, also a situation I think where uh, there's a bit of there's I think like I think with this defense in the previous games they had gone down like gone down by points fairly quickly due to turnovers. In this game, it kept being close, and I think as the game went on, they seemed to warm more and more to the fact: oh, we're actually in a game here, and we can knock off a team which has legitimate playoff expectations. Wouldn't that feel nice? So I think like it's the kind of like they're kind of like in uh, they're kind of in a lazy mode right now, but if they're given a chance to show their stuff against a legitimate team, then I could see them doing this and actually showing up and paying to the level they have last year. Like the offense is still shit. Eli Manning is still shit. Uh, Orling Starkwell is okay, but is injury prone, so you know, he's like the new and mob broadshaw basically. <laughs> uh uh-huh. Uh, which is fine, and they're playing with, like, you know, Roger Lewis and various King, so it's, things are happening, but yeah, the, the offense didn't win this game, it was all on that defense, and we know that the defense is talented, so I think if the New York Giants get into more close games, I think the defense will warm up and do its thing, uh, but I don't expect that will be enough uh, when they'll probably be behind quite quickly in a lot of games due to Eli Manning throwing the ball like away five times. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's better than Nate Peterman, but that's that, that's about <laughs> all I can say for
0: Eli Manning these days. You know. So don't expect much from him, and don't expect McAdoo to be here next season. Fair enough, fair enough. So a bit too late for him. I, like as I said, I don't think I can blame Bob Sutton for this one. Like we didn't get pressure, but we also like like I said, nine points in the re- in, in in regulation, you gotta expect that's gonna be enough. Smith was making bad reads. There was very obvious play calls. Like. If we, after a couple of drinks, can figure out exactly what the fuck is going to happen, you gotta believe that the defense of a professional football team are going to be able to figure that out. There was no rhythm to the run game, even though they were getting over four yards a carry out of out of uh, out of Hunt. Like third, three of eleven on third down. You can't be doing this kind of stuff on offense and expect to be able to win even against a Giants team. Like, is this a personnel issue? Is this a coaching issue? Do you think there's an injury, or what needs to change? Because I know we, we've, we've had a word. I, like, I reckon we've got two games to get this changed, or we might be seeing a bit of Mahomes. There's a lot that needs to change here, I think.
2: I don't know if it's necessarily all on Alex Smith at this point, and I'll, I'll explain mm-hmm. that. But before I get into it, firstly, Travis Kelsey. What the fuck was Travis Kelsey thinking? It was a punt. So, I thought we'd already seen the best <sighs> one, where, uh, the best tight end fuck-up, where uh, when Drew Brees while getting sacked. Flipped the ball to Josh Hill for the Saints, who then stood there really confused because he was eight yards behind the line of scrimmage and wasn't meant to get the ball and immediately got tackled. Then Travis Kelsey, on trick play, gets the ball, (laughs) scrambles around like he's an actual fucking quarterback, tries to get outside the pocket, makes a man miss, and then instead of just throwing it away like a normal person, hoicks it straight into the arms of a, a Giants defender. Just... Like, firstly, that play call is not a call you make in a close game. That's insane. And I think what we're seeing here is a lot of the old bad habits of Kansas City come back up. Ones that we, at the start of the season look like they've gone away, but have crept yep. back in throughout. One of them is like really weird play calling that has no situational awareness. That's a play you can pull out, like in the playoffs when you really need to, not when you're like, this is a team that if we score a touchdown, we will beat them yeah. because was they a are. There's a tied game
0: at the point that that was happening. That's well. exactly it,
2: and like, cause. I think, and again we're seeing a similar thing, when this team push comes to shove, you need to convert the third down, you need to uh, finish drives, get touchdowns, conservative, predictable play calling. There is no inventiveness, and what we saw earlier in the season seems to have been figured out a bit. It's a case of you have gone, moved away from that, been already, that wasn't working, that stopped working, let's just do what we know we're good at, what, the vanilla stuff, the simple stuff, and they can't do it. They can't play it with the imagination. It's actually a similar problem to the Oakland Raiders are having right now in that the offensive play calling is so predictable that they're struggling to move the ball. So that's the, that's the coaching side of the issue, right? And I think it comes down to it. Like I so said, the old habit's coming back. Predictability. And once the motion stuff didn't work, stopped working, right? Can't finish those drives. The other side is the player side. And this is why I don't necessarily blame Alex Smith entirely for this. I think the O-line has regressed over the season, which has been the first problem. It's put Smith under a lot more pressure and it's impacted the running game. But we've seen Casey get it done before with a struggling O line. That's not a huge issue. You're not going to agree with me on this, but here's my here's my okay.
1: Oh, hot takes!
2: This is a hot take, right? Oh, it's not actually that hot a take. I'm hyping it up like something. <laughs> Tyree Kill is not yet a number one wide receiver, and there's two sides to this. Firstly, Tyree Kill—he's a burner. He's agile. He can do a lot of stuff. He's not a proper number one receiver. Okay. You don't have a number two receiver and you don't have a slot receiver. You have a very good tight end and you have a guy who can do a lot of the stuff well but isn't like a traditional number one receiver. The lack of weapons that Alex Smith actually has in the passing game has made
0: Smith, I think, look worse than he has been playing. I think we've, I think we've, we've lost a bait. I think we've... Dropped on average about 30% of our third down conversions since Conley was gone because he was got our to... safe set of hands on third downs. Exactly, we've
2: we now seen Demetrius Harris and so on just scooting oh, balls off into the air and yeah,
0: nothing they... happening. Demetrius <laughs> Harris should just be a fucking lineman and we should tape his hands closed. <laughs> I mean that's boxing box. gloves not it's fucking punching gloves like, you've so got, you've
1: got... they have for the people who have injured
2: hands yeah. <laughs> and you've, you've got promising guys like Demarcus Robinson but he, he's he's nowhere near there yet mm. uh, DeAnthony Thomas remains a, an exciting trick player but not something you can rely on you don't have that solid guy Tyreek Hill is not now maybe he will become like a number one like Antonio Brown type guy mm. which is what he could do but he's not there yet he's not he doesn't have the physicality to just be a number one so he's a guy who's got to make it work and he doesn't Quite yet have the skill set, particularly when there isn't other people to take the
0: pressure off them. But this is the thing: like these, what they were doing effectively beforehand was scheming that of like they would throw him like across about five yards in, and they'll have Demetrius Harris sitting in front to block. But
2: this is what this is the stuff they got figured out. And when they went away from that and try to play more efficient, they don't have the personnel yeah. to do it, and that's the personnel problem. To me, right now, Kansas City's personnel problem, other than the obvious problems in the backfield, since Derek Berry went down, is. On the wide receivers, and I think that is something that needs to be addressed. This team needs to go and get somebody to take some pressure off of mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill. And while you know uh, Conley is a very safe pair of hands, he's not the dynamic kind of other guy who can make things happen. Mm-hmm. And until you have that, you can't you can't do it with a small, fast guy and a big tight end. You need more than that. And until KC do, I think we're going to see their offense start well with great scheming. And when they gets figured out, descend into actually we don't have the personnel.
1: To pull this off.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm kind of worried about that myself. Uh, we'll see. It's there's like I said. I think there's a few bits that need to change. I'm really hoping that this is being as bad a loss it was might just fucking give them a kick up the arse if they need. Because I can see how you can rationalise the loss to the to the Dallas. I can see you can rationalise the loss to the to the Raiders and that kind of stuff. I don't see how you can rationalise this loss. Like they, they can probably rationalise. Go well, our defense looked okay. Like yeah, because their offense is dog shit and there was raining out of fifty miles an hour wind. Like that doesn't fix that issue. The fact that you're play calling is so predictable your personnel isn't ready to go you need to prepare better and be just ready to swap up if it's not working change it do you know what you should do what was working lean into it that fucking running game is what you should be leaning into but uh we'll see we might have given how much we are angry about we might actually have a very (laughs) vanilla pick for how their game is going to go next week but we'll (laughs) see and with that we'll move on to some questions from the listeners Okay, so this one comes in from Michael, he says, lol Peterman, uh, (laughs) joint most interceptions on his first start, Uh, what were the Buffalo Bills thinking? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, (laughs) We vaguely mentioned this beforehand, of like, there's been a lot of questionable decisions made by the Bills, full stop, of like, is it just that they know that they're not going to last, so they're gm and their coach are just trying to fuck them over like they cut a load of players to build up draft picks but then they started to do well so then the response to doing well was to well we're going to go and acquire a top wide receiver but then we're also going to just bench our quarterback and put in a rookie who then let's be honest he essentially tied the record even if he's one short he got five interceptions and a fumble that's six turnovers in a half that's pretty fucking impressive
1: yeah, my, my favourite thing about it is the fact that the previous record, well, the, his joint record holder is Keith Null, which sounds like a name generated by Madden for, like, its franchise mode after <laughs> 20 years, it's like, it's like okay, Dayton Peterman, Keith Null, these are people we will all forget, uh, but no, like, the Bills organisation, we know, the Bagula family, they came in, they looked initially like they might know what they're doing, but then they hire the Ryan brothers, well, they are like, Rex Ryan, and he hired Rob Ryan, and then they got chased out of time, They bring in Sean McDermott, and McDermott seemed to be doing okay. Seemed to be like going, okay, we're going to rebuild this organization. And then oh, we have this rookie. Let's just throw him in against a really good defense. Well, a really good uh, front uh, front seven at least in the LA Chargers, and let's just see what happens. And what happens is you throw someone in uh, when you're five, when you're like in playoff contention, when you're five and four, you have a winning record, and within the AFC, you're very much in playoff contention. Uh, for the wild card and he shits the bed completely and totally and now you're left with a big massive pile of stink in your head you can either stick with the rookie uh, or you could just shelve him and basically have to cut him a year from now probably uh, or you have to like basically get on your hands and knees and beg Tyron Taylor to come back in and save or at least make them relevant for the rest of the season uh, as a coaching staff in your first year who's made you know a lot of controversial decisions but which have managed to mostly work out, this is the kind of move which just kind of starts making that locker room go off a bit. Like, Tyro Taylor, by all accounts, sounds like he's fairly popular in the locker room. It sounds like he's fairly popular within the NFL community. And to basically shank him like this and then have a blow up in your face is the kind of thing which is just so Bill's. It's like so built. Only Cleveland could like contrive to make something even more stupid happen. But I think th- this is actually the stupidest thing that's happened. Well done. You are now more incompetent than Sashi Brown somehow.
2: And we said it last week in the editorial that we did not think this was a good idea. But I don't think even we thought mm. how bad of an mm. idea this was. And there's an old saying around the league that the best player in the league is always the backup quarterback in Buffalo. Mm. And um, I think. Bills got what they Bills fan base got what I asked for right here. This, like I feel bad for him. I actually feel bad for him. He wasn't ready. He was thrown to the wolves and he got shredded. And I don't know if you can come back from that. To I be honest with so. you, but like they just like I said, they mishandled Tyrod Taylor. They've now mishandled Nathan Peterson, Peterman. Mm-hmm. If they thought he was a genuine prospect, this is not what you do no. with a, a raw prospect. It, it, it absolutely boggles the mind. That a anybody thought this was a good idea, and b they didn't just pull him after the first two or three interceptions that they kept him out there. He completed six passes to his own team and five to the fucking Chargers.
0: Like and then one to the ground. <laughs> and what? He, well, no more than one, <laughs> to ground, one to the ground. one that was alive oh, before yeah to the ground.
2: He right. He passed for sixty six yards to Buffalo receivers and eighty four yards to San Diego's defense. Like oh, Jesus, uh, it, it's just unfathomably bad management. And like to be honest with you, that. Again, if this wasn't a first-year coach looking over a rebuild of a team, this is fucking sackable. Like, oh yeah, I, I do not think you could make a worse personnel move than this. And like, oh, well, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably going to their long game, in inverted commas, which is getting Tyrell Taylor the hell out of town. But... I don't know what there's yeah, a solution for that problem. If, any,
0: if anything, with that, that's probably more likely that the fans are going to want to keep Tyron Taylor. I know <laughs> uh, not gone well. I, I don't them. think Tyron is going to want to stick around. After no, this. it's not. It's it not. And I think uh, I think there's a difference of uh, fifteen million in uh, what he'd be guaranteed between if they cut him or hold on to him, they so cut him uh, training camp. But yeah. I
2: will say one thing: love being a Patriots fan.
0: Love playing in this stupid oh, fucking division with these God. stupid fucking teams. Fair enough. And with that, on on that joyous note, we're going to head on to our picks for next week. <laughs> So now just coming into week eleven, we just thought we'd give you an update on how the picks have gone for the season. So in third place currently is Harry with uh, ninety six and sixty two. Or sorry, ninety seven and sixty two. You put some respect on that name. Put some respect <laughs> on that name, yep, yeah, sure. Uh, Fitz has a hundred and four and fifty five, and I have a hundred and seven and fifty two. So uh good stuff all round. Uh, Harry is now gonna have to aggressively pick uh, games to try and make up the difference. Pick uh, in Cleveland. For yeah, every game, every week. Way. Uh, so we will do a quick fly through some of these games. So uh, first up we have Minnesota at Detroit. We've taken Minnesota across the board. Fitz?
1: Yeah, like I think Minnesota showed that they're a complete team in the game, as we discussed, as we reviewed uh, just there. I think Detroit are a fun team. But I, I imagine that this Minnesota team, their confidence is all-time high, their defense is playing so well, that Detroit, for all of their fourth quarter bullshit Won't have enough on Thanksgiving to to really get it done. So Minnesota to open up a significant lead in the NFC North and really seal that division
0: up uh, with a win here. Fair enough. Uh, LA Chargers at Dallas I've taken the Chargers uh, Fitz and Harry have taken Dallas this is Harry's pick of the week so Harry tell us a little bit about this yeah so
2: I'm going to open this with a little story so there's a guy obviously in a couple of fantasy leagues he played with obviously uh, the guy's now Keane. he's actually sent in a few questions to this podcast Keane has a terrible habit in fantasy of like he forgets everything that's happened before the prior week so he'll always he's a points chaser he'll always add you know his way pick will always be the tight end who went off for two touchdowns so will never score anything again in that season Everyone's always described as being amazing or terrible, depending on their week's performance beforehand. Uh, he's also won our league twice, which is kind of embarrassing for the rest of us. But right now, Dallas are apparently bad, and the Chargers are apparently good. So that makes it an interesting game, because right now we're living in Kean's world, where only the last few weeks matter. And that's the situation we're in. That's why it, it should, could be interesting. Realistically, I'm taking Dallas to think Dallas are overall just a better team at this point. But let's, let's talk about the potentiality anyway of what we're dealing with. Um, if we look at the Chargers and how the Chargers hammered hammered the Buffalo Bills like ignoring whatever other team has done to the Buffalo Bills this season it was ruthless um, we saw Keenan Allen uh, finally explode and um, we saw obviously um, Melvin Gordon look back in form we saw some more nice stuff from Eckler Philip Rivers looked like he'd never been concussed it was all looking quite good where Dallas have really really struggled on offense over the last little while like we've seen them uh, be held to 9 points uh, by the Eagles and before that they were held to I think 7 points by the Falcons yeah. now Obviously going through an adjustment period without, um, without Zeke, but it looks like Dak Prescott is struggling. Sacked they 12 look.
0: times, I think, in the last two weeks. Yep. So. The
2: O-line without Tyron Smith is a big deal now. Tyron Smith will probably be back for this game, but we said that last week as well. If he is back, that's going to be a huge factor because you have to neutralize Melvin Ingram, you have to neutralize Joey Bosa. You do not want to be going in there without your best left tackle. But, and this is the but, Dallas have had two down weeks. There have still been bright spots on that team the run game is still looking pretty decent if they can get Smith back and get that protection for uh, get the protection for Dak I think they're going to be in a much better spot than otherwise because San Diego for all that explosion last week remember how bad they looked the week before against the Jags remember how poor they've looked at every other part of the season where they've struggled to get things going where any team that has been able to put up the semblance of a stiff defence against them has led to just crumbling to Philip Rivers turning the ball over to mistakes being made to Gordon becoming ineffective because that O-line is still not good in, in San Diego and that's I think one of the storylines that everyone misses because so nice, nobody cares but it's, it's going to have a factor here Dallas have a very good pass rush right now between DeMarcus Lawrence and David Irving and those lads in there so even without Sean Lee there's still a danger at the run just from the, the front fo- the, 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 the um just the defensive line to be honest with you so on that basis I'll go with Dallas but I think it's going to be interesting because of just the, the shift that we've seen over the last week that we've seen things work for San Diego that weren't working for, I keep calling San Diego I refuse to recognise that they've moved <laughs> for the Chargers uh, that that we haven't seen and we've seen Dallas struggling areas That so that could make this game more interesting than it has any right to be but I think on the basis of what we've seen throughout the season and where we know these teams' respective ceilings are and what we've seen in terms of consistency from both teams I think you have to give the edge to Dallas
0: yeah fair I've gone with the Chargers because uh I think, just, I think Dak Presley is going to be his ass pretty much half this fucking game I would expect to see a good seven or eight sacks here uh, Giants of Washington we've gone for the Mzungus across the board why? because the Giants are shite even if they manage to beat an even shiter Kansas City Chiefs team as uh, Cleveland at Cincinnati the game of the week for everyone uh, we've gone Cincinnati across the board Fits. Cleveland
1: uh, showed up in a bit of fight last week against Jacksonville but they're just really good at losing you know yeah <laughs> Cincinnati aren't particularly good at winning Though they did manage to somehow win that game in Denver So give it to Cincinnati because they know how to win games Sorry, sorry Cleveland
0: Yeah, I toyed with with taking Cleveland in this one It was like, it's an in-division game and they're away And it's, yeah, like Nah, it'll be too good a game for them to win Uh, Carolina at the New York Jets We're taking Carolina across the board, Harry You remember when we thought
2: the Jets might be good? Yeah Yeah, (laughs) seems a long time ago Um, Cameron Newton's in flying form um, looks like they've finally given up on whatever shit they were trying to pull. And like, let's go back to doing what this team's good at doing. Yeah, just get it um, going. I imagine they will probably roll over the Jets, yeah. who seem to have regressed into a pile of, oh, actually, we are tanking this season, yeah? Yeah, why not? Uh,
0: Tennessee at Indianapolis. We've taken Tennessee across the board. I don't know. I was questioning about whether I'd take Indianapolis on in this. I don't like either of these teams currently, but Tennessee have more like, quality players on their roster starting at the moment than Indianapolis do, so it's going to give it slightly to that edge, even though they're on the road. Uh, Tampa Bay at Atlanta, we've got Atlanta across the board. fits.
1: Tampa Bay have shown a little bit more fight recently, but Atlanta seem to have, if not turned the corner, certainly, like, the breaks have gone their way a bit more. They've got, a, like, a number of, like, good catches out of uh, Sanu and Julio Jones. So I think against a pretty dire Tampa Bay team overall... I think their mini revival over the last two teams against bad teams should end with Atlanta at home uh, taking the win.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, next up, New England at home to Miami. We've taken New England across the board. Uh, need we say more, Gary? <laughs> nope. I mean, have you seen Miami recently? Yeah, not great. Uh, Chicago and Philadelphia, we're taking Philly across the board. Pretty obvious why Philly are the dogs bollocks. Chicago, while looking better recently, are not going to be able to hang at all with them, especially on the road at Philly. Uh, Buffalo at uh, Kansas City. This is Rowan's game of the week, I think, just yeah. for penance because he's had good ones previously. I'm uh, taking <laughs> Kansas City across
2: the board. So you have to love a good like uh, movable force meets stoppable object kind yeah, of thing. Yeah,
0: <laughs> this is going to be this. This will either be great or fucking terrible. I'm pretty sure it's ninety five percent going to be fucking terrible.
1: Yeah, so like apparently based on the feedback from last week's uh, podcast, I've been stealing too many good picks of the week due to like doing the spreadsheet stuff. But like this is actually it. Like it's interesting, I think, because like you have two teams that in different ways went across the country and shit the bed completely and utterly, and they're now covered in shit, and I have to wipe themselves down and see if they can actually do something. Because despite that, both of them are actually very much relevant for postseason. Uh, purposes. KC are still two games ahead in the AFC West. Buffalo are right in the hunt for an AFC wildcard. So there's all to play for because the AFC sucks balls. So many, many balls. Um, in terms of the actual matchup, um, I think Buffalo, we know what they do. They're kind of one-dimensional offense. They're not going to have Kelvin Benjamin, so they're kind of busy back to where, where they were in season They run the ball through Shady. They run the ball through Tyrod, and they use their tight ends to basically get some catches Uh, on the on the perimeter Uh, on KC side we've seen their offense slowly grind into nothing and turn into probably a worse version of the traditional KC offense with with too many trick plays not enough production can they get back on board against the Buffalo defense which has looked much less effective over the last few weeks and then on the KC defense side if they're playing Tyra Taylor and LaShawn McCoy, they should be able to scheme for that, it's a very predictable offence in the sense of what they're going to do but the KC defence has very much been brittle this year and cannot not step up at a big spot, because they're at home Arrowhead obviously has a big home field advantage and this is a huge game to ensure that they don't allow those teams in the AFC West to get back in, so I think we all favour the Chiefs, we all believe the Chiefs are a better team and that we trust that Andy Reid and that organisation gets up together while the Buffalo is a dumpster fire uh, but KC over the last month have just been poor and they just need to now start grinding out wins or winning big here if possible and kind of get the shit going again because their actual situation in terms of the playoffs is very good right now. They just need to not fuck up more.
0: Yeah. My concern is not making the playoffs anymore. My concern is we will not do anything in the playoffs unless we get this shit sorted. Uh, next up, Seattle at San Francisco. We've taken Seattle across the board. Uh, pretty obvious, Seattle are looking good even though they've lost a couple of key defensive pieces. San Francisco, look Fairly shitty across the board.
1: Jimmy G. Jimmy G start, though. First Jimmy G start.
0: Oh, is he actually starting in this one?
1: I believe so. Oh, he's going to torture
0: lack of secondary to all of those receivers that they have in in (laughs) San Francisco. Uh, Yeah, we've taken Seattle across the board. Next up, we have Denver at Oakland. We've taken Oakland across the board. Harry?
2: Yeah, this is uh, probably going to be a bad game, um, given how both these teams look at the moment. But right now... Denver's offense is so inept even you now, McCoy's gone we'll see what happens in Musgrave but I don't expect anything because the paucity of talented quarterback is, is so severe right now and this team looks so disjointed and leaderless and rudderless that even an Oakland team that's really really wobbling should be able to, to put up a couple of touchdowns on them and to be honest that would probably be enough
0: yeah and this is this is
1: is: Oakland haven't had interception, I believe, all season. Yeah, they still Surely not. Surely, Paxton Lynch slash Brock <laughs> can provide them with some relief. Surely, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Uh,
0: the one thing that's interesting is I think that this one will probably if. if this will probably have a large impact on which team of these will still be viable to try and take a run at the Chiefs that are on the because it's guarantees one of them has to win a game here. Mm. Uh, whereas normally they just both lose. New Orleans at the LA Rams. Uh, this is my game of the week so uh, I've gone New Orleans. Fitz has gone New Orleans. Harry is gone with the Rams. Overall I think this is probably the best game of the week uh, on the schedule. Two very good teams. Two very good offences. Two pretty strong defences but maybe not the strongest defences playing against each other. This should be an exciting game. New Orleans... Squeaky bummed their way to to eight to an eight win eight game winning streak, and they're looking to continue that. LA Rams has suffered a bad loss to the Minnesota Vikings, but as we said, that was big performance at the tail end rather than something where they were crushed throughout. These are two teams who are really competing for the postseason in the in the uh, NFC, and this will be, I think, probably a preview of one of the matchups that we'll see in the playoffs. I think this should be really really fun. I can totally get the LA Rams choice in this game if they can get that offence going but I just I find it very hard at the moment to pick against this New Orleans team they just keep finding ways to win regardless of what happens uh, but yeah should be a good game uh, next up we've got Jacksonville Arizona we've gone Jacksonville across the board Harry yeah um, Blaine Gabbert like <laughs> against that defence it's it's going to be
2: ugly uh, this is probably going to be another sort of ugly game but it's very hard to I think the Cardinals can put up points on bad defences like yeah, let alone a good one like this.
1: Yeah. Blaine Gabbard revenge game. Come on, Harry, get hyped.
2: No, I refuse to. Blaine <laughs> Gabbard let me down this week.
0: Uh, Green Bay, Pittsburgh. We're taking Pittsburgh across the board. Uh, Fitz? Uh, have you seen Green Bay recently? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: Brett Hundley's pretty bad, and the Pittsburgh team seem to get right against Tennessee. I expect that defense will have a lot of fun with Brett Hundley, as most defenses are these days, and the offense will. Do enough to kind of win at home and put on a good show. Although Pittsburgh will probably do their traditional play down to their opponents and only scrape through by like ten points or so. Yeah, Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah, we'll see. It, is, it has that feel of like they'll do that for the first half and they'll come out in the second half and he's going go to fucking town on them in the second half after realising oh wait we shouldn't be playing this badly uh, Houston at Baltimore is the final game up we've got Baltimore across the board although I was kind of half thinking about giving Houston a shot here um, yeah basically just Baltimore's defence looks very good their offence looks bleh but this Houston team is all over the shop and you can't make head or tails of them and they're travelling up to what is a good defence my advice don't watch Monday Night Football probably just not going to be a fun game to watch yeah, uh, just
1: rewatch, like even as a Seahawks fan, it was it was a bad, like wasn't nice to watch. I would just recommend rewatching last week's Monday Night Football again. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: probably that's probably a good one. Um, but yeah, that'll wrap us up for now. So any crack yourselves, lads? Any plans for the rest of the week? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Wild exciting. Uh, yeah. No, we'll see. We'll see
2: how it goes. Yeah. I uh,
0: Like it's blood donation tomorrow, yeah. and then yeah, I've got uh, heading up to fucking Donegal then, so ah, more is. traveling. All the travelling. Very good. Very good. So many travel. But uh yeah, that should be good. So like I said, always keep their questions coming in on Facebook, Twitter, Pornhub, all those kind of things. And uh yeah, so that'll do. So it's bye from myself, bye from Harry. Goodbye. Bye from Ron Bye. This has been all four quarters. Thanks so much for listening and we will catch you next week.